okay. We have been having all kinds of weird technical difficulties, but that is okay, you guys, because we are back. We are here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yay, we are here. Uh, welcome to oh a Thursday mini episode of the Crushed and Pressed podcast. We are here. It is us. I'm sorry, you guys. <laughs> it's it, look. It wouldn't be crushed and pressed without technical difficulties. Some kind of technical difficulty, guys. Yep. Ah, but but look, we have all kinds of fun, new, cool stuff, like a uh, showing that we're interrupted. I was gonna say, are we coming in clear yet? Hold on, because that's there. There, I see our faces. Okay, John's in here. Hi, John. Can you hear us? Is everything good? Can you hear us? Can you see us? Are we alive? And then it's this one. Write a post. Y'all, sorry. <laughs> no. Come in here. There we go. So that with friends. Y'all, mm. is this is the content you came here for. Restful day. Okay. Oh, look. It's finally here. I can see hey, us can now. Can you see us now? Okay. <laughs> I don't. It's us. It's us. Hold on. I don't know what to tell you. There guys. you go. Okay. Welcome. It's Thursday. Yes. Um, Mercury is in retrograde, and <gasps> there's a full moon on Saturday. So, forgive us. Mm. It's it's gonna mm. be an interesting night. And then when is the time change? On Saturday. Lord, y'all. So that means Sunday. Make sure you switched your clock so that you're here yes. on time. And also, just so you guys know, in case you're wondering, um, that full moon is also a blue moon. So Yes. Ugh, all the things. That's why. I just throw all the things at you guys right now. Look, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, many, many years ago, um, when they were saying that Halloween better not be screwed with because of all these things that you're hearing now. And um yeah, we're still we're still in this. Good job. Yes. World. <laughs> hope everyone got the notification started another stream. I hope so too. I'm going to share this one just in case. I did too. I was like, "No, it's in here." And then I deleted my first one off my wall just to make sure. Yeah. Because Halloween 2020 is wild. You made it. Okay. Life is wild. So for me, for me, that's everybody that was here. I think that's it. That's everyone who was here so far. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So <sighs> what's your name? Who are you? I'm Philippa. I, I'm, um, Flip. I'm Flip. <laughs> I'm Flip. Wow. <laughs> I said my full name. That was weird. <laughs> that's fine. I'm Angela. You can call me Ange. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness and Go this ahead, give us your whole social security number flip this is the crushed and pressed mini episode <laughs> it's on a thursday it is on a thursday but i said that already in the beginning you i did. said thursday. you did she has been on the ball with the thursdays instead of wednesdays you guys it's it's clicked she's got it but she's good. the other day when i was telling john that he needed to come over on Thursday, I said you need to come over on Thursday for the Wednesday midweek mini because that was logical in my head at that moment in time. Good. 
guys. It flows. You're fine. Lord this help is where me. we're at. <laughs> oh my god. Hey, so how's your week been? It's been a week. Um <laughs> been a week. That's that's how my week's been. Good. Oh, another share. Thank you guys. Hi. Yes. Encourage your friends to get yes, in on this madness. Definitely. And in case you didn't know, the shares now pop up behind your head. So there's just a cute <gasps> oh, little exciting. flash behind your head when somebody shares our stream. Y'all, look at these adorable graphics. And by adorable, I mean cool as yeah, cool as fuck. They're cool as fuck graphics. They are cool as fuck. Um, John and you. Joey did a great job <laughs> on our graphics. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, because it was not us. <laughs> Wait, mm -mm, this isn't our job um yeah thank you gentlemen we wouldn't be this without you yes. thank you our crush and pressed producers mm, mm. producers plural yes this is great i'm so excited We're here. We've, we've made it to the <sighs> yeah okay so any highlights from your week um, anything special joey and i finally got our costumes together as of one hour ago so that'll be Yay. fun. Good, good, good. Yeah, because last year, mm -hmm. what, y'all were, was that last year y'all were Jack and Jill? We did Jack and Jill when we were at your party, and then the night before at Crossroads, we did um, Bob Ross and the Happy Tree. That's right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so cute. Oh, man. Yeah, I decided on a costume yesterday, last night. I was at about, like, midnight when I was laying in bed. I was like, you know what? Let's look up scary shit. And just see what pops up. And one of them popped up and I was like, I own every single piece of that costume already. There we go. Good. See? <laughs> so we're good. Like the wig, the shoe, all of it. Already own awesome. all of it. Ready to go. There so I was go. like, good. I live in a weird theatrical existence where I just have costumes with my regular ass clothes hanging in the closet. It do be like that. <sighs> yeah. Are you drinking anything fun? Um, Today I have... Uh, Jim Beam and um, cranberry ginger ale. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> like, tell me, tell me, tell me. <laughs> you guys, my brain is just not, it's not here today. Um, Which is great because she's our main storyteller. <laughs> <laughs> I did no research. In fact, while we were having our technical difficulties, I pulled up the part I was supposed to do, which was the news. It's so okay. I have things for later, but good lord. It's okay. okay. <sighs> we'll get there. And what about you? How's your week? Pretty damn good. I'm not going to lie. I had a new client um, that her daughter-in-law bought her a gift certificate for Mother's Day, and okay. she just redeemed it. Because... <laughs> Why not? And uh, I did some real good work in that house. Let me just tell you, there was years of dust on things, and they are now beautiful. And I'm very proud of my work. And she did text me uh, the day after and was like, the house was gorgeous. Thank you. It smelled so nice and everything's so clean. Aww. I did so good. Y'all, I'm good at what I do. I'm really good at what I do. Um, and then today, I went and got my nails painted blue. Okay. Because one of us, for sure, went and voted early. Go ride that blue wave. <laughs> no, That's what I, I did. I like to just vote, you know? I like to go on voting day and vote. And around here, no. typically at that point, <laughs> no, no, around here where we are, it's really not that busy. 
No. So. Mine, every time I've done early voting, no line. And like even today, from the moment I pulled in, parked, walked in, dropped off Trevor's mail in ballot in the box, walked in, got all my shit, and I brought my little cheat sheet because I was like, good, I'm bringing in all of this stuff already pre done. Sat there and did it. It was maybe 20 minutes round trip. I think no problem. When I went to go primaries, took me of there was nobody in there. I walked in, yeah, filled it out, walked out. Yeah, primaries was easy as hell too, and that was in my other house. I, but just the town is just not that busy, and I'm thinking a lot of people for this one based on numbers. A lot of them are voting early, so that's good. So it shouldn't be yeah as bad. Fingers crossed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, um, did that and then um, busted out my other vintage beer um, that we've had to my two-year-old beer that's been sitting in the fridge. And again, delicious, delightful, totally happy. And we've hung up almost all the artwork in our house, which is a lot of artwork. Didn't realize how much I've accumulated. It's a task. So we're real familiar with where the nails and the hammers are in the house and now we've got to make a designated pile for garage sale because we're having a big garage sale next weekend we have too much shit and then yeah that's it just making plans for this weekend because yeah it's halloween (laughs) finally yeah okay guys and you know the deal if you you start us off with a new Hi, friends. Um, as I, I was telling them before we got on the pod, little angel Pete Buttigieg was here <laughs> in Florida. Uh, he ran for Democratic nominee earlier. He had the High High Hope song with the dance. He was that that candidate, and he's here in my area, and I was really excited to find that out late and not be able to go see him or anything, but I was thrilled with that. Okay, so... More than 6 million voters under 30 have cast early ballots compared with roughly 2 million at the same time in 2016. So in 2016, 2 million, and now we're at 6 million. Listen, you go millennials and Gen Z. I believe in you. Be the change. Do the things. (laughs) Yeah. You're inheriting this world. Stand up for yourselves. (laughs) Some of us didn't when we were young. I should have. I should have done way more research. I've been way more involved. I wasn't. And now I'm like, I'm getting in late, but at least I'm not like, you know, late, late life getting into it. You, that's funny. You, you oh. just said you guys are going to inherit the world and it immediately made me think of God's spell. So if we could just not do that, <laughs> <laughs> it just immediately brought me back to God's spell. Y'all, there's some local theater that's putting on Godspell coming up soon. Like really? they just announced auditions. Yeah. And I was like, man, I really should go try to do that. It's a smaller theater. Okay. I just, I want to be the, um, oh, what is it? What's that first song? Damn it. I just lost day it. By day. Thank you. Day I want to be the day, day by day girl. <laughs> I can't remember what her name is. When we did it, we just used our own names. So. Yeah. And that's what it said in the casting notice was, hi, the cast was originally named after the people playing them. Therefore, mm. this is look for your parts. And I was like, Alto, <laughs> that's me. And I like that song. I did. Um, but, um, oh, bless the Lord, my soul. That was mine. It's a good yeah. song. It's so good. Um, yeah. And then uh, local news. Theater West End is putting on. Um, what the fuck is it? Green Day. American, American Idiot. Idiot. Yeah. So I'm excited to go see that. Our friend Forrest is in that. Yes. We were, me and Flip, we were in a cabaret with him. We sang with yes. him. Thing. 
He's a beautiful <laughs> singer. If you guys are able to go check him out, check him out. He's a fantastic performer. Yeah, and he hasn't stopped doing shit. He was just in the Fantastics, and before that, he was in uh, uh, Shakespeare Bridged, and before that, he was doing, like, he's been actually performing throughout this damn pandemic, Did too. Did he I'm like, do there another Spring you, Awakening, too? That one? Eh. Oh, there know. is, but it's it's like way up in Jacksonville, right? I thought this one was in Orlando. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, I that's because I know Agata was auditioning for one, but I think it was in Jacksonville, and I think it was before the pandemic, and then they moved yeah. it. What do I know? I don't remember we just, anymore. I know. We just announced our cast for Little Shop of Horrors. I saw and my that. favorite my favorite share of that was um Larry Tiffany. He shared it and he goes, Look at that cast. Look at this cast. Look at this cast. And I was like, I know. Beautiful. <laughs> we, cast. We, asked, we did it. It's gonna be real fun. I'm very excited. <laughs> Thank God. Oh, Theater as South as... is where he did Spring Awakening. I Thank you, Brittany. <laughs> I know, guys. Look, I know you don't know any of these people. They're they're a big deal in our area. This is who we are. We're a big deal in our area. We have a podcast. They're important. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're we're kind of a big deal. We're performers. We're local uh, celebrities. <laughs> yes, we are. I haven't been. We're not by Wade. We haven't been spotted in a grocery store and recognized yet. Yeah, but I'm, we'll I'm not by Wade. But soon. Uh, speaking, soon. Yeah, soon, soon. Speaking of which, um, break a leg to all of our friends who are currently in the 3x3 three three happening yes. right now. Right now. Right now. We're podcasting. They're doing that show. Go watch yes. that. Come yep. back here. All right. Um, my other thing was, oh, yeah, I pulled up coronavirus to see what's going on. Um, because as the president said, it's all <laughs> the virus, the virus, the virus. Like... Like it just disappeared for a minute or something, and we're all hyping it up. Um, so yeah, um, for posterity, we are still in the midst of a global pandemic. Uh, the numbers in Europe have risen again. Ours are all rising. There's uh, hospitals in El Paso that are lifelighting people over to San Antonio because there's no beds. Um, so yeah, it is still here. There's still a problem. Yay! Um, Hasn't gone away yet. Ireland's back in on quarantine yes they are um i have a relative in italy right now who says that they're probably going to go back in quarantine um australia is still doing the damn thing in quarantine <laughs> like well, um, yeah. <laughs> it's been so sad because a lot of our hula hoopers are aussie and just watching them try to deal with this and teach classes virtually it's nuts you know what was funny so on my way home today on on i-95 the overpass for international speedway i know i know what you're talking about did you see the sign yes did you see the sign tell them tell them tell them because yes i did it says something like disregard science if you want to or choose not to believe in science if you want to and then it's got like the numbers like the daily numbers in Florida of how like it keeps rising, it's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> I pass by and there's a bunch of people standing on the bridge like waving. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's oh, great, yeah. you guys. That's well. I thought we had a guy out here um, heading over the bridge to the beach. He had two signs, and one of them had um, an American flag over a picture of Donald Trump, or no, over a Trump flag. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. So he had an American flag over a Trump flag on one stick. 
get a communist flag <laughs> over the Biden flag on another stick. And I was like, ah, this is as bad as, because it was what, 2016? 17, 18, 19, 20, yeah, 2016. In Little Palm Coast, there were a couple that were dressed up as Hillary and Bill Clinton in like prison outfits, mm -hmm. standing on the street with signs that said, lock them up. Yeah. And I was like, man, the theatrics that go into these little towns. Y'all. I don't know, you guys. But yeah, the amount of overpasses I've seen with different flags and people up there waving, and I'm like, I would never think to go stand on an overpass and wave at people. It's just blowing my mind. Um, Keith Richards. <laughs> Keith Richards. He's Keith Richards. On catching I... Yeah, on catching COVID, he says, I'm impervious, like Donald Trump. Okay. That's Thanks, Keith Richards. two hours ago. That's a, there's a whole story on that. Reddit, not that interesting, but good job, Keith Richards. You're still relevant. And then I have one. Um, I am just actively learning about this. So, Flip, you may be able to help. Um, I've been kind of disconnected from the news for the last few days because I've been other shit going on. Um, Walter Wallace was killed um, by police. Did you hear about this? And I, the story I found was Walter Wallace Jr.'s family does not want Philadelphia officers to face murder charges. Is this the football um, player? This is, let's see. Um, this was the guy. The comments came after the family watched body camera footage of the moments leading up to Wallace's death, which Johnson said shows an obvious mental health crisis. And that the reason they don't want the police to face charges is because they were not trained to deal with this. Um, and that they were, uh, what was it? They were improperly trained and did not have the proper equipment by which to effectuate their job. And so they handled it the way that they handled it. Um, the footage, which is about 30 to 40 seconds long, shows Wallace emerging from a house with a knife as family members shout about his mental condition. And then he was, he was very far away from the officers, but he was holding a knife, so they shot him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do know. Um, I did hear about this. Um, yeah, and it, it also Johnson also claims that the video shows that Wallace was incapacitated after the first shot. Yeah, and he was it, it the the video footage at this point, like the, the complaints that are coming out right now are of course like he was armed and he was walking towards the officers armed, but at the same time, like clearly this is a man who's under some kind of mental stress. And they didn't try any um, de-escalation. No. At all. Um, and they said at least 14 shots were fired with at least seven from each officer. None of the 14 shots were necessary. But if you were going to shoot, the first shot incapacitated the man. Yeah. There were 13 shots that followed, which is why he's no longer with us. And then I guess they're saying that the um, body cam footage and all that stuff, uh, the family is going to see it first because, of course, the public wants to see it. Um, and... They're like, no, the family will see it first. We will go from there. Um, let's see. The police commissioner, Danielle Outlaw, her last name is Outlaw, um, said it was important that Wallace's family see the evidence, including the body cam video, before it was released to the public. Mm -hmm. I have, She says, I have every intention of being transparent and releasing the footage. I think the footage can speak for itself. Cell phone video captured Wallace Jr.'s altercation with officers before he was killed. And one of the officers can be heard saying, put the knife down, put the knife down. But the video doesn't make it clear whether he was, in fact, holding a knife. But witnesses in the family said that he was. 
And then I understand he had a knife. And I think that doesn't give you carte blanche to execute a man. Right. Um, and then police officials said that they could not confirm what information had been given to the responding officers, whether they were told about a possible mental illness or how many calls they had received. Um, so outlaw said earlier that the officers involved in the shooting were taken off the street duty as they investigate what happened. And she said the officers' names and other identifying information, including their race, would be withheld until the department could be sure that releasing the information would not pose a threat to their safety. Yeah. And then neither had a taser or any similar device at the time of the shooting. All they had was guns. So that's why they were they were poorly equipped. Like they everybody's like, well, why didn't they, you know, use something else? Well, because they didn't they have didn't it. Have anything else. Um, so they said the city has failed not only the Wallace family, not only the other members of the community who will be scarred and traumatized for the remainder of their days, but the city has also failed those police officers, and it failed them tremendously. The only remedy the police had in that moment, per their thinking, was their service weapon, right. and there was no lethal action available. There was no less lethal action available, and that had been out our war cry ever since Tuesday. And that's the thing. like When, when we say things like, defund the police it's because there are i want them solving crimes and doing what their job is supposed to be not handling all this other crap that could be held handled by people who are trained to handle those situations mm -hmm. and clearly they were not these ones were not given the tools the training or or any backup to de right. deal with this kind of mental health crisis that's a dangerous position for the officers i think a lot well. of a, a lot of what we hear in this situation is like if uh, if you have a social worker or a mental health counselor going out to these homes, like, what are they going to do? But at the same time, you have to realize that, like, in the mental health field, in the social work field, like, you deal with people like this on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times children have come in our office and had mental health issues, and we've had to call the cops on children who we've already had to you know, had to walk out of offices or whatever. We, you know, yeah. it, that kind of stuff happens. And when I worked at the school, you learn how to appropriately, they don't like to use the word restrain, but that's what it is. You learn how to appropriately restrain a child so that they de-escalate. Right. When you work in yeah, a mental health facility, you learn how to appropriately restrain a child so they de-escalate. It's the yeah, same thing with a, adults. Yeah, we had a kid um, when I was growing up, it was... Geez, at the beginning of um, oh, what was that medication? Adder not Adderall. What's that other one? Ritalin. Jesus. Um, when they were like testing Ritalin on kids, and they were testing basically testing it on this one kid, and he was ADHD, all sorts of crazy energy, everything. He ended up uh, by the time we got to fourth grade, he had a bodyguard that was with him, and was there to like basically grab his arms and say, "We need you to breathe. We need you to breathe," and walk him outside because it got to where I want to say it was is either second or third grade because I was in class with this kid the entire time. Um, he got mad at the teacher for something. So he went back to his desk, flipped the desk, started pulling stuff out of the desk and throwing it across mm -hmm. the room. And so we were all told when that happens, you know, when this kid has a breakdown, we all need to get up, file out of the classroom, let him have his meltdown. Mm -hmm. And then they got him the bodyguard to help with it. And then once they finally figured out the balance of the medication and everything, right. he was able to self go, okay, I'm having a moment. I need to ask to leave. Right. I need to whoa over. Yeah. So by the time we got to senior year in high school, he understood what was going on within him, what he needed to do if right. he needed to do something with his hands instead. 
But can you imagine if he was, you know, second grade throwing objects from the classroom around at a teacher, like, and it was handled by someone without any training? Right. I mean, we had our de-escalation room uh, right next to our classroom. So if our kids were having, like, major meltdowns, we'd pull them into the de-escalation room. And it's the only thing in there was, like, Christmas lights or, like, fairy lights were up mm-hmm. around the room, but we kept everything else dark. There were, like, some yeah. beanbag toys and stuff like that that they could play with. Um, and it was kept really cool in there. Because yeah. when you're going through these meltdowns, your body temperature rises. So it was kept really oh, yeah. cool in there. And they could relax. And we set them in there, and we would just tell them, like, just go. If you need to go, just go. De-escalate for a minute. Or if we had to physically bring the kids in there, go. De-escalate. Yeah. And we'll come back. So, but that I mean, when like you're, really nice room. it was a really nice room. <laughs> I kind of missed like the de-escalation room. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's cool. There's bean dogs and fairy lights. Yes. Yes. But you know, like imagine that you're an adult who, as a child, didn't learn proper self-regulation, yeah. and you're having this meltdown as an adult, and Unfortunately, the people who are there to deal with you are not adequately equipped. No, they're showing up with only guns. Nothing right, and else. then now that throws you into a bigger panic. Like, why are you here with guns? Yeah. yeah. I know. So that's just one more, one more thing in the list of, you know, what needs work and what, you know, our votes matter and your money matters and figure out what you're supporting and where your help can be best placed, please volunteer. Whatever you can, guys. You're all part of this freaking world right now. Be there. Be present. That's the news. <laughs> oh, no. One more news story. And this is bananas. Are you ready? For a housewarming gift for my brand new house, my mother bought us a Roomba knockoff. This thing was lovely. And it had a few really great days in our house, picking up a whole lot of really great stuff. And then yesterday, it ran over a pile of hot steaming dog shit, and it dragged it all over my house. I'm so sorry. So, when Charlie Um, came home from work, he had to sanitize the house and clean that out, and then he put the actual vacuum on the porch for me so that I could come home and sanitize and clean that, and we returned it. And now we are getting a lovely stainless steel trash can and other things to replace it. Um... In other really crazy news that I just thought of just a second ago, I don't know how many of you guys were listening the day that Ange and I had the conversation where we were like, I wonder how many active serial killers there are right at this very moment. I remember well, this conversation. Yes. <laughs> well. Well. Um, oddly enough, and I'm going to pull this article up right now um in spring hill florida that's like tampa hernando area oh no 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 no. human remains were found at a serial killer's family home in hernando county florida oh my cousin mike lives there lived there he just moved um they were found in the yard of the home the home belongs to family members of a convicted killer oh my god yeah Um, And apparently this house is no stranger to law enforcement. Uh, Graphic discoveries have been unearthed there before, bringing it 
bringing with it the chilling story of what neighbors call a house of horror. The serial killer that we are talking about here is Billy Mansfield. Um, according to documents over the years, what happened at the Spring Hill home was stuff of nightmares with details so horrific and so evil that longtime residents admit to just talking about the home, just talking about the home makes them feel uneasy. Oh, no. Um, the property has a dark and twisted history, including murders, rape, and heavy drug use, including Ugh. a twice convicted child molester. The location of the family home of convicted killer Billy Mansfield, where he carried out his savage behavior, where he tortured victims frequently. Um, they were all w- women that he kidnapped and tortured. Um, very interesting. Um, basically, all the... According to court papers, the terrified victims endured the most horrific circumstances as they were passed around between the father and his two sons. The family members sexually assaulted and tortured their victims as they suffered in the last moments of their lives before Billy did the unthinkable over and over again. He murdered these women, dismembering them in his house. Then, to satisfy his murderous obsession, he would bury the bodies nearby, admitting later in court that he wanted them close because he always wanted them next to him. No, no. Oh, fuck that. Um, Apparently, this discovery on Tuesday was so gruesome and so disturbing that the forensic team spent from sunrise to sunset at this home. Oh, God. Um, Ugh. They're going to continue to search the property again to see if there are any more bodies. Yeah. Um, in case you guys don't remember our first season. Uh-huh. Um, I kind of remember This is our also... Yeah, me too. About that. Um, we Jennifer talked about Cassie. Little Girl, our first season. Jen Odom. Same Did that make it into the video series? Do we go back over that? I don't know if we, we went were, back over that. We did not, because we recorded it. Y'all, there's a missing episode. Here's the thing. We recorded it. Audio only. And then we also recorded Jennifer Kessie, and then we decided to do video. We read it Jennifer Kessie. We did not go back to Jen Odom. No, so we will have to go back to Jen Odom to make sure. We still have the audio, so I'm not even sure if it's out on the podcast. Maybe that'll be like some content for you. Hey, Joey. Right. <laughs> Put that in. Um, but oh, basically, cool. yeah, so the family is dangerous. Um, a lot of people and the neighbors will say the family is dangerous. They will kill you like they've killed others. I can't say anything about them at all. I might get killed. They're crazy. And this is a neighbor who refused to give his name to report. The family. The whole family. That. Mm. Have you ever read Girl with a Dragon Tattoo? Yeah. It's like I that. saw the not so great. Oh, no, don't watch the show. Watch the good one. <laughs> watch the one with subtitles. Um, without James Bond. Because um, that was, I believe, yeah, first book um, where they were looking for the girl that was missing. And you find out later she had run away because her father and brother had raped her like they were raping and killing lots of other people. I'm like, that is shit straight mm-hmm. out of a book. So this says that after Billy, so Billy Mansfield, he carries out his vicious crime spree where he killed multiple women between 1975 and 1980. The case is once again drawing attention 40 years later. Um, The father and brother, so Billy's brother, 
Um, they still live in the home, and mm-hmm. Gary, the reason why they went to the home was to arrest him for drug charges Tuesday morning, <laughs> and then they found a body. No. Uh, also, John says, that's like the guy that buried his mother. He murdered facing his window. <laughs> that's uh, Ed Kemper. Ed Kemper. Ed Kemper? Yeah, Ed yeah. Kemper, yeah. Um, he's, that's him. my buddy. That's my buddy. <laughs> Don't talk about it. <laughs> Um, and basically Gary said when they showed up at the house to arrest Gary for the drug charges he began yelling about the body that was buried in the yard and said I want immunity if I tell you where the rest of the bodies are oh my god no Mm. yes Mm. but also I want you to tell me where the bodies are Right, but I also don't want to give you immunity because you're a piece of shit. Mm, That's Golden State Killer bullshit, too, where it's like he made some kind of deal to where he gets. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Because he's guilty, but he's not getting killed, right? Is that where No, I don't think he's killed. No, no, no. He's also, like, 78. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, and he's faking that whole frailty in the wheelchair shit because they got videos out of him Spider-Manning all around his fucking cell and all this Mm -hmm. shit. And then his um, wife... Still current wife? I don't remember. Maybe ex-wife, one of them. Just talked about how, like, recently, in his later age, like, they'd be on the motorcycle and he's flying through neighborhoods. Like, he is still fit as a fiddle. Yep. So, mm, that Um, piece of shit. And just in fun stuff, Buffalo Bill's house from the Silence of the Lambs has gone up for sale. How much is it? Where is it? I don't know how much it is or where it is, but it's up for sale, you guys. You guys can look that up and go find it. And, unfortunately, you just bought a house. I, but look, we can re, we can sell this one. Rental property. <laughs> there you go. Airbnb oh, that bitch. Airbnb. <laughs> Do you know how much money I can make? Oh, tons, man. tons. People kill to stay there. Please don't yeah. actually kill to stay there. No. Yeah. Hi, when you check into your Airbnb, you ring the bell and we'll say, what's the password? And I need you to go, hello, Clarice. <laughs> like, it puts the lotion on the skin. <laughs> uh, the complimentary poodle <laughs> get ready Ugh. lotion bottles oh. in every room baskets oh. of lotion in every room <laughs> oh leather lamp skins <laughs> jesus leather lamp skins oh okay so today side note guys before we get into flip telling us all about alex rackley let's real quick tell everybody where they can find us Oh man, this is confusing because now it's above me, you guys. It's it's no longer down there. It's up here now. So just here. right here in the corner. See it? Um, you guys be sure to follow us on all of our social media. We are on Discord at Crush and Press Podcast, Instagram at Crush and Press underscore pod. Facebook, of course, where you get all of your updates about everything that we're doing, and you guys can catch our live streams, and on Twitter, where I just post random. Yay. We just have fun. And then, of course, remember to follow our Patreon, where you can leave us tips, and all of your tips will go towards you guys getting on tiers, and once you get on tiers, you get on, you get merchandise. Look at that. It's it's a win-win situation. Give us your money. (laughs) That's every time now. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) yes and then make sure you join us on sunday because we are still doing that giveaway we have words secret hidden words that come out on sunday episodes to form a phrase they are currently scrambled you unscramble them you send us the phrase and you win 
What are we giving them again? I am giving them a coffee mug. It says mug shot. There you go. You want this. It's the first one. You want to win this shit. So make sure you're going back through all the Sunday ones, collecting up all those words. Don finally came over the other day and got his prize from the last one. Thank you for sending people to our page, John, and for winning that that contest. Yay! All right, Flip, tell us all about Alex Rackley. Okay, you guys. Remember, I told you that these stories are heavy, and they're going to continue to be heavy until Sunday. Thank you. And then we get into serial killers. Oh, hello, Mom. Uh They're going to continue to be heavy until Sunday, you guys. Buckle up. Ready? Click, click. I'm in the driver's seat, you guys. (laughs) Ready to go. Looking out my window, having a good old time. Okay, let's go. In the summer of 1970, the people of New Haven, Connecticut, braced for the start of what local journalists billed as the trial of the century. The legal proceedings against members of the New Haven chapter of the Black Panther Party for the murder of a 24-year-old New York Panther named Alex Rackley. The murder and trial shifted attention away from the efforts by the Panthers and a host of other local civil rights and black power organizations to address issues of economic and political equality in the city of New Haven. Mm. Now, we've already talked about the Black Panthers and their origins, so I'm not going to cover all of that again for you guys. But if you've missed any of that info, go back to our last three episodes where we talk about all of that. We just we dive right in. So... Rewind if you've missed any of those. Okay? Please, just do it. It's fun. We're funny. You'll like it. You'll like it. I promise. And if you don't, I try. Boo on you. We did our best. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Um, Fear and paranoia within the Panther organization led to efforts to ferret out suspected police informants, often with tragic consequences. Hmm. In New York, National Panther Field Marshal George Sams Jr. recruited local party member and Florida native Alex Alex Rackley to accompany him on an inspection visit to New Haven. In New Haven, Sams accused Rackley of providing information to New York City police about New York Panthers accused in a bombing plot against the city. Oh, shit. Remember, I keep telling you guys, stop bombing things. Yeah, don't. No, no. No matter how much you agree with the Oklahoma City Bombers manifesto, because some of it really does make sense, you don't build a bomb about it. Mm -mm. Publish your shit. Over the next three days, New Haven Panthers tortured Rackley in hopes of extracting a confession, which later resulted in his murder. Mm. Sam's ordered the titular head of the New Haven party, Erica Huggins, to tape the interrogation for the national headquarters. Sorry, Erica Huggins is a lady. Nice. Well, you know, ladies were in the Panthers. I'm just happy. White is a lady. <laughs> so, formed in the winter of 1969, the New Haven Panther Party was born in the shadow of violence. Mm-hmm. And you got to remember that in the winter of 1969, this point a lot of leaders as we've talked about in the last three episodes again if you've missed it go back a lot of their leaders are getting murdered at this point. yeah so 
Huggins, which is Erica, she relocated to the Elm City following the murder of her husband and a fellow panther, New Haven native John Huggins, on the campus of UCLA in 1969. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Shit. Um, by members of the US organization. So okay. were you here for that? No, that was John's episode no. where he was with me. Yes, it was. So go back and watch that episode if you guys did not hear about that. Um, the US organization, of course, was a rival black power group seeking to control the future of the black studies program at the university. Mm-hmm. So that's why the name Erica Huggins might sound familiar because I, I briefly talked about them in the last episode, in that episode, two episodes ago. <sighs> Prior to Huggins' arrival, attempts at establishing a chapter of the Black Panther Party in Bridgeport drew some level of interest. In January of 1969, the Bridgeport Post-Telegram reported that an Oakland Panther named Jose Gonzalez had organized a chapter of the party in that city. With Huggins' arrival, a majority of the would-be Panthers in Bridgeport merged with similarly interested recruits in New Haven and went to work implementing the Black Panther Party's program in earnest. Selling the party newspaper, community service work, and political education classes occupied most of their time, although the national offices would later claim that Huggins was the only acknowledged Panther in New Haven. Wow. Okay. The party made strong inroads recruiting a small cadre of activists amplified by dozens of volunteers who helped staff the Panthers programs and who also regularly attended political education classes. Mm-hmm. So... Huh? Um, in the words of Hamilton, enter me. Just kidding. Enter Alex Rackley. Oh, my God. Alex Rackley was born in Jacksonville, Florida. Woo-hoo. Um, He was born in 1949. And in 1968, he left his home state of Florida and moved to New York City. There, he became involved in the Black Panther Party, but his role seemed to have been limited to basically just giving classes in martial arts. Because remember, as I said, they became more militant. They wanted to be able to defend themselves. He was there to teach them. I mean, that's kind of cool. Nope. Maybe you got out of Florida. You went to a really cool city and you're teaching martial arts to people. Good job. Uh, in spring of 1969, Rockley, R- I'm sorry, Rackley came under suspicion. His mm-hmm. loyalty was questioned, and rumors circulated that he was passing information about the Panthers to the FBI. The situation was exasperated by the presence of two National Panther figures from the California headquarters, um, which is Field Marshal George Sams and Landon Williams. The two men had arrived on the East Coast in May with the intention of instilling discipline into the New Haven and New York chapter. Mm. On May 18th, Rackley was forcibly brought to the headquarters of the New Haven chapter of the Black Panthers at 365 Orchard Street, which was also the residence of Warren Kimbrough, who was another New Haven Panther. Oh, wow. In the bedroom normally occupied by Kimbrough's seven-year-old daughter, Rackley was tied to a bed and questioned under torture. Mm. The principal method of torture was pouring boiling water on his torso, shoulders, and thighs. Jesus. 
Finally, after two days of this treatment, according to witnesses, he confessed to all of the accusations. I'm sorry, two days? I'd confess two. Two days of them pouring boiling water on this man's body. Yeah. The veracity of his confession has actually never been confirmed. Nobody actually knows if he really did. Well, and that's, I mean, because honestly, that's how you talk about maybe getting the truth out of people. That's a banana's way to try and I'm going to tell you whatever you want to hear. Please quit pouring boiling water on me. Right. Late in the night on the 20th, Rackley was removed, still alive from the apartment, by Sam's, Kimbrough, and a third panther, Lonnie McLucas of Bridgeport. Mm -hmm. The men borrowed a car from one of their supporters, one of the supporters slash volunteers. They borrowed a vehicle from them and drove him to the marshy wetlands of the nearby Middlefield. On Sam's orders, Kimbrough shot Rackley in the head, and McLucas shot him again, and then they dumped his body in the, please forgive me, I don't know how to say this, Coginchog, Coginchog, C-O-G-I-N-C-H-A-U-G, Coginchog? Coginchog, sounds good. River and left. Now... At this point, the Panthers become subject to police infiltration as the New Haven police had successfully penetrated the Panther movement by using informants. And on the night of the killing, investigators already suspected that some kind of internal party discipline was underway. Jesus. In fact, there was a supporter from whom the murderers had borrowed the car for the killing who was paid by the New Haven Police Department to report on Panther activity. Wow, that's what a mess. It's just a Um, mess. And he called the controller that night to alert the police that Sam's was using his vehicle for something. Mm. According to later testimony, officers followed the vehicle when it left New Haven, but reported losing track of the car on the way to the murder scene. Yeah. Uh, Rackley's body was discovered later that morning by 23-year-old worker John was that McCroska, who had stopped his motorcycle near a bridge on Route 147 to check out his favorite trout fishing spot on the riverbank. Oh, no. State police recovered the body. His oh. wrists were tied with gauze. His neck was wrapped in a noose made from a wire coat hanger. There were extensive burns on wide areas of his chest, wrist, buttocks, thighs and right shoulder she'd also been beaten in the face groin and lumbar region with a hard heavy object Mm. in his jacket pocket was a note to bobby seal who was the panthers national chairman again we talk about him in our previous episodes um from erica huggins a prominent new haven panther seal had been in new haven to give a speech on the yale university campus only hours before rackley Man. Mm. <laughs> um, before I move on any further, I'm just going to make sure there are no comments. Okay. Um, no, another police informant from the Panther Circles identified Rackley's photograph and reported seeing Rackley being tortured. So the entire night that this man is being tortured because he is an informant, informants are in the room yeah. watching him be watching. tortured. Yeah. That's nuts. That's so. Oh, I did. Mm. 
New Haven police raided the home of Warren Kimbrough on May 22nd, arresting Kimbrough and Huggins. Sams and McLucas escaped initial arrest, but were captured later and brought to Connecticut for their trial. Um, the New Haven prosecutor, Arnold Markle, sought to implicate Erica and Bobby Seal, claiming that the Panthers executed Rackley on Seal's orders. Kimbrough, had been, who had been one of the party's dedicated organizers, turned state's evidence and agreed to testify against the Panthers. Wow. He joined Sams, who had claimed he had orchestrated the torture of Rackley at Seal's behest as one of the prosecution's star witnesses. The state elected to try McLucas first, and jury selection began May of 1970 against the backdrop of growing national interest. Damn. That is dirty as fuck. Yes, it is. That's some mafia shit. Ugh. So, in the trial of McLucas... Oh, goodness, my page just went... Oop. Sorry, you guys. Oh All right. In the trial of McLucas... Um, his trial set new records for the scale of judicial proceedings in Connecticut. It was the first in Connecticut to have metal detectors installed at the courtroom doors. Jury selection took six weeks, and, oh. which was a Connecticut record. Oh, yeah. And the jury deliberated for six days, which was another Connecticut record. Wow. Holy crap. Despite impassioned accusers, accusations from protesters that McLucas was being railroaded into the electric chair by a racist jury. The jurors, 10 white and two black, acquitted him of the most severe charges, convicting him instead of the sole charge of conspiracy to commit murder. His defense attorney declared the judge was fair, the jury was fair, and in this case, a black revolutionary was given a fair trial. McLucas was sentenced to 12 to 15 years in prison, um, and his collaborators in the murder who had pleaded second degree murder released after four. Oh, wow. Um, Seal and Huggins in October of 1970, Bobby Seal went on trial alongside Erica Huggins, founder of the New Haven chapter. This trial was even larger, um, involving a full four months of jury selection. Holy crap. I can't even imagine that. Four months? Four months. Yeah. Seal's attorney emphasized that it was only Sam's testimony that tied Seal to Rackley's murder. Uh, Huggins' voice was heard on a tape recording of the victim's interrogation that was being played for the jury. Her lawyer argued that she had been acting under duress. The jury was unable to reach a verdict, and they deadlocked 11 to 1 for Seal's acquittal and 10 to 2 for Huggins' acquittal. Wow. Wow. On May 25th, 1971, Judge Harold Mulvey stunned the courtroom spectators by dismissing the charges against Huggins and Seal, saying, I find it impossible to believe that an unbiased jury could be selected without superhuman efforts. Efforts which this court, the state, and these defendants should not be called upon either to make or to endure. Wow. I don't know how I feel about all this. No, I just don't know. It's just so complicated. And it's there's so many layers upon layers. And I'm like, what is actually fair in this? What is... 
None of it is fair. None of it is fair at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Kimbrough and Sam's both turned state's evidence and admitted their roles in the killing in exchange for reducing the charges to second degree murder. Although that crime carried a mandatory sentence of life imprisonment, both men were actually free again after four years. Four years. That's it. McLucas confessed to his part in the murder when he was arrested, but chose to stand trial and pleaded not guilty to conspiracy to commit murder and other charges. So he confesses. He confesses, and then he's like, I'm not guilty. I'll go to trial. Wow. Um, His and the other defendants' trials became one of the most defining battlegrounds for the racial for the radical racial movement as thousands of re-energized Panthers and pro-Panther protesters poured into New Haven, disrupting normal city life, school, businesses on the campus of Yale University. And Yale President Kingman Brewster, who suspended some of the campus rules in order to dispel tensions in the student body, famously commented that he doubted whether a Black revolutionary could actually ever get a fair trial in America. Wow. I mean, honestly, that's a true statement. Because I doubt it, too. Um, Ripples from the case continued to spread when Sam's testified that in killing Rackley, he had, of course, been working on the direct orders of Bobby Seale. Right. Um, Apparently, Bobby Seale stopped by the Orchard Street headquarters on May 20th after his Yale speech and told them to kill him. Wow. Wow. Also, guys, just real quick pause. You don't have to do something just because someone tells you to do it and you have orders. I'm just saying. Absolutely not. Like, you're murdering a person. Please. Come on. Um, Kimbrough actually never corroborated Sam's evidence whatsoever about Bobby's. Really? And no further evidence of Seal's involvement was ever found. Hmm. But Seal and Huggins were arrested. Right. And tried. Although there was no evidence that they were ever actually involved. Holy crap. What a mess. This is just a mess. Um, During his trial, McLucas admitted to firing the second shot into Rackley's body, but insisted that he had actually been unwilling to participate in this from the get-go. Jurors Mm. listened to audio recordings that the Panthers had made of Rackley's whimpering tortured voice during the two days of agony jesus why are you recording that because they wanted to present it to headquarters show them how they were ferreting out all of the loose ends i know but that's bananas okay um again mclucas was found guilty and sentenced to 12 to 15 years in prison the deliberations of the racially mixed jury which lasted 33 hours over six days were the longest in connecticut history to date the jurors, of course, acquitted him of um, capital charge for kidnapping leading to death, which, of course, he was relieved that at least yeah. he wasn't being sentenced to murder. Also, real quick, racially mixed. Weren't there two out of two. ten? Two oh, out of I, ten. You would think it'd be five and five. Racially mixed. Two out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> Seems fair. Um... In October, when Steele and Huggins went to trial, um, George Sams testified again 
By this time, Sams was reviled by the Panthers as a traitor, and they accused him of being a renegade psychopath who had killed Rackley on his own and who was pinning the crime on Seal to please his new masters in the establishment. Fuck. It was <laughs> even suggested that Sams had been in cahoots with the FBI the entire time and that he was the real informant and had accused and murdered Rackley to cover his own tracks. Which is totally possible. Oh, right. man. Oh. What a hot garbage. This is ridiculous. Um, George <sighs> Sams Jr., the prosecution's chief witness, and this is a quote, um, George Sams Jr., the prosecution's chief witness from, from this is from the New York Times. Okay. Um, in the murder of Bobby, in the murder trial of Bobby C. Seal and Miss Erica Huggins here testified today that he never lost his temper or was excited, nor even perspired while he beat Alex Rackley with a stick and then scalded him with boiling water. He was only following orders that morning, and he said he did what he had to do. Also, you're a psychopath if you can get away with doing that without breaking a sweat and feeling bad at all. He said that he had used worse things than hot water in other interrogations that he had conducted for the Black Panther Party. Jesus. Sorry, I had to sneeze. <laughs> he's used worse things? Than scolding hot water in other interrogations that he's had to do. Um, he said, when you're interrogating an individual, you use any means necessary to take that interrogation. It wasn't mm. the first time he interrogated anyone in the party, so he knew what the procedure was. Sam's was a 25-year-old product of Alabama slums and Harlem streets. He's already pled guilty to second-degree murder, um, and police say that, of course, he killed Rackley again because he was just an informant. Right. Sam's oh. consistently said that he was following orders from Bobby Seal, and this was on the basis of a statement to the police in August of 1969 that he had heard Seal say that Rackley needed to be killed. Right, John. John says so because he's done worse, it's justified. Right. Like he, mm. uh, he's done much worse things, so this is nothing to him. This, this meant nothing, really, honestly. It shouldn't be that bad. Again, Sam's was the only person to say that um, Bobby Seale was involved. The prosecution declined to retry the case against Seale and Huggins. So, wow. at the end of the day, we ended up with one person serving, two people serving four years and four years. serving. Wow. Wow. Um... Although Seal's prosecution galvanized the American radical left and Seal walked away from the trial without being convicted, the proceedings in New Haven have been called a victory for the panel. Hmm. Um, because it wasn't like their whole organization got brought in yeah. for just general. The trials actually exposed an internal strife and distrust that was undermining the Panther movement and confirmed for the public that the Panthers would resort to extra legal violence when necessary. Oh, fuck. Well, and that's the thing. That's 
kind of true. Like you're always going to have within a group, there's going to be some kind of problems and no group, no matter what, even if they're standing for the best cause in the world right. are going to be completely pure. You're going to have somebody in there who's going to fuck some shit up. And because of this trial, unfortunately, a lot of their influence ended up waning. Oh, yeah. Because at this point, you get so many people going, well, I can't take them seriously. They're just like any other group of dumb shit people. The trial later became a subject of controversy regarding the role of Miss Hillary Clinton. Oh! An urban legend spread via the (laughs) internet by opponents of Clinton's campaign for U.S. Senate in 2000 claimed that Clinton defended Bobby Steele and helped him beat his murder charge. In fact, Clinton, who was then a Yale Law student by, of course, name Hillary Rodham, not a Clinton Mm -hmm, yet, mm -hmm. um, she did not directly serve the defense. Instead, she helped coordinate the efforts of the ACLU to monitor the trial for civil rights violations. Well, she did. Oh, wow, though. She's just being a decent person. (laughs) Yeah, your mom says ridiculous. Absolutely Uh, ridiculous. This is, oh, okay, keep going. What else? Um, Both the Panthers and the FBI suffered damage to their reputations after public exposure of their most unsavory actions. Yeah. Um, In 1971, a group of left-wing radicals calling themselves the Citizens Commission to investigate the FBI... (laughs) <laughs> if you guys do not know about this there is an episode of this on drunk history first of all if you don't watch drunk history what the hell are you doing with your life um but there is an episode about them on drunk history uh okay just by title that sounds like some shit i would join yes the citizens commission to investigate the fbi they burglarized the fbi field office in media pennsylvania which was found to be spying on swathmore students Sorry, Swarthmore students and faculty. Among wow. the materials stolen from the break-in were documents revealing the true nature of the Quintel Pro program. And within a year, Director Hoover declared that the centralized Quintel Pro program was over. Oh, <laughs> citizens so, are Yes. So if you guys haven't watched that episode of Drunk History, it's a really good episode. But it basically shows them all in like their like little like 1970s gear, like oh, breaking um... into this office. And like they they like faked an interview or like, yeah, they faked like a newspaper interview so that they could like um... jot down the layout of the office and that so they could break in the office and stuff like that. And like right downstairs in this like hotel there are people downstairs watching the fight and they could hear it through the floor and they would hold the door because there was like a bookshelf that they had to push to get the door open and they would listen for the fight downstairs and when the announcer was like when the bell was ringing or when the announcer was yelling about a knockout is when they would push the door open so nobody would hear them really really cool really really cool story that is so fun um now, of course, for the Panthers, the SEAL trial may have been the height of their national exposure and their popularity among the broader left-wing movements. A string of violent confrontations with law enforcement, along with the trials and convictions of National Party leaders that followed, left the movement spent adrift, and by the mid-1970s, it was largely inactive. Yeah. Ugh. In 2006, Kelly Moy revealed that he was a police informant recruited to infiltrate the Panthers by Nick Pastore. 
Come on. Okay, of course. <laughs> of course. Um, who was head of the New Haven Police Intelligence Division. Um, George Sams held a gun to Moy's head and demanded that he turn over his car. So this is the guy who they borrowed the car from. The car. Wow. Um, Wow. And of course, Rackley was driven to his death in Moy's car. Um, This epilogue is detailed in an article that's called After 30 Years, Spy Comes Comes In From the Cold by Paul Bass, who is the author of Murder in the Model City, Black Panthers, Yale, and the Redemption of a Killer. Oh, what a book. Right. Nick, Detective yeah. Nick Pastore, who arrested Seal and brought him into the New Haven to stand trial, went on to become New Haven's chief of police and was widely renowned for his successful policy of community policing and now heads a nonprofit advocacy group in Washington, D.C. called the Criminal Justice Policy. Hmm. 31 years later, when Seal returned to New Haven to speak at the Yale Repertory Theater, Pastore decided to attend and even presented Seal with a pink porcelain pig and a hug and congratulated him for continuing the struggle. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So that... That 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 is our story for today, you guys. I don't that it really wasn't all that satisfying. It was really kind of just infuriating. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's okay. So the whole time you're talking about this, I'm like, oh, ten out of ten, I'd watch that movie. The new Netflix movie, The Trial of the Chicago Seven, has ties to Connecticut. The Trial of the Chicago Seven is a star-studded film that premiered on Netflix on September 25th. What year is this? This year. It's this year. Yeah. Yeah, and it dramatizes a 1969 trial in Chicago against a group of men accused of traveling across state lines to incite a riot following massive protests during the 1968 Democratic National Convention. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it mentions some of the stuff we just talked about. Uh, there's a picture of uh, Bobby Seale giving a black power salute as he leaves Hartford's Bradley Airport on his trip to New Haven. Seale faced trial in connection with the murder of Alex Trackley. Yep. <laughs> oh. Man, um, so yeah, the perhaps the strongest Connecticut tie in the movie is Bobby Seal, and it's uh, however, the movie did take some liberties with the details of the case. In real life, Seal was accused of conspiring to kidnap and murder a suspected FBI informant, Alex Rackley, not a police officer, as the movie version would have you believe. Oh, fun! And I'm just gonna <clears throat> search this really quick because mm-hmm. I don't think. It is listed anywhere. No, it's not listed anywhere if he was actually an informant or not, which I truly believe that he was not. Uh, Yeah. Because otherwise you would have had, wouldn't we have heard tape? Well, they don't have have the tape. They don't have the tape that he actually confessed. They just have him being tortured. Yeah. That's the thing. You can kill somebody because you got nowhere and you were supposed to get a yes. I'm an informant and you didn't. But basically, yeah, this it was a really wild event. Again, um, they boarded up in, in New Haven. They were boarding up stores. Schools were shutting down. Um, there were years of protests that ensued, including that 1970 May Day gathering on the green that led to them having to cancel classes. Um, 
you can see like when stores businesses that are boarded up they have um wooden slats on the windows that say free the panthers oh. um the national guard of course was patrolling the streets <laughs> love, it. love it um there's all kinds of just really interesting things that went on there um the white judge had been outed for making racist statements against the African-Americans and, of course, declared the mistrial. Um, He actually sided with the Panthers on that. We're talking about a white judge who has already made racist comments in the past. Yeah. Who sides with the Panthers and says that his friend, who was the white prosecutor, had overstepped his zeal for a conviction. Holy shit. Um, of course, oh. again, the Panthers didn't last much longer after that in New Haven, but their legend still continues to go on. Um, they didn't... <laughs> Very interesting. Um, of course, all their causes that they fought for at that time still continued, um they now they don't really call for violent revolutions but the successors are still marching the streets and closing down streets to protect people from police violence and they're monitoring all police misconduct with the goal and the help of videos that um called the civilian renew I think what it is um but that's their goal they call attention to um, child hunger in city neighborhoods. They still continue to serve free breakfasts, and that's just you know the way it works for them. And wow. they even have um, there have been cases of deadly actions of slum lords in yeah. shitty land, <laughs> um, yeah. and they still to this day fight because it provokes outrage with their community. Um, Some of the New Haveners at the time of the Rackley case actually still remain on the front lines of their causes today. So this article came out in 2019, but still relevant today. Some of the New Haveners that were there at the time of the Rackley case still remain on the front lines. Panther George Edwards, whom Panther leaders also tortured in the Ethan Hmm. Gardens basement and who Hmm. escaped actually being killed himself only to be arrested in connection. He continues burnishing the Panther flame. He attends rallies. He speaks out at public events and um, he, his son is fortunately passed away in the line of duty. His son was a firefighter Um, and their, their family continues to fight the good fight. I mean, it's been, 51 years. That's nuts. Wow. 51 years. 37 years after the murder in 2006, when George Edwards finally got to confront Warren Kimbrough at a book event in a Yale, in the Yale bookstore, he asked Kimbrough why he had tortured him in the Ethan Gardens basement and Warren Kimbrough refused to apologize. Oh my God. That you tortured me years ago. 37 years. Apologize. Holy shit. Um, Kimbrough says he kind of apologized. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Um, he also I'm revealed... Sorry, that he, feelings. Yeah. 
He also revealed that he had been tricked into his fellow Panthers into believing that he couldn't track down Edwards. Mm. And because of that, he was tricked into placing Edwards in the Buick along with Rackley. Wow. And Edwards managed to escape. Jesus. Um, David Rosen, who was one of Bobby Seale's lawyers in the New Haven trial, continues a half a century later to wage crusading lawsuits, including a class action lawsuit on behalf of the families that were forced to flee the dangerous Church Street South housing complex. Uh huh. Um, another yes. Another Panther lawyer from those days, John R. Williams, is keeping his civil rights practice going as well. We're talking oh fifty years later. Wow. Kelly Moy still lives in the exact same neighborhood, mm. and occasionally mixes and mingles with cops and other passionate neighbors to continue their fight. Oh, my God. Um, and families continue to live in the 28 apartments in Ethan Gardens. Um, kids who now include immigrant children play in the courtyard. But Ethan wow. Gardens is no longer a co-op as it was back then. It is owned by a private real estate company. Oh, my God. Um, there's They actually did interview the woman. Her name is Kathy Gardner. She moved in in December of 1996. And raised her kids there. She was still living there. Oh my God. Um, she Bonzer. said that she knew that her apartment had some kind of connection to the Panthers and a murder, but that's all she knew until she learned the actual true story last year. Oh my God. She had never even heard of Warren Kimbrough. She didn't know oh that Warren Kimbrough was the first president of the Ethan's Gardens Co op. And it actually turns out that she was the last president of the co op. Before it was sold to the property manager. company. Oh wow! Huh. Um, she said she was really upset to see the co-op die, but at that point, all of the other co-ops in their area had also been bought out. Yeah. Um, she works as a special ed paraprofessional, and she is one of the only former three co-op residents left. Oh my god! She said that the murder doesn't bother her. As long as they aren't dead in her basement still, she doesn't care. It was before her time. She can't change 50 years ago, and life needs to go on. Yeah, but also energy stays behind. I right. don't know. And she said that she is in the process of cleaning the basement out. Oh God, now. Now. Yeah. <laughs> we're bleaching the mm -hmm. walls now. Um, she said she actually has a new grandson. She had a new grandson on the way, and they were cleaning out the room for him. I wouldn't put a child in there. Oh my gosh. Like, good on her. Cleanse it. That I just, fine. I think mm. that's absolutely wild. And there's a lot in here um, where, you know, they talk about Warren that night, a lot of the story that he's told where he went back upstairs and he changed yeah. into dark clothes. Um, Alex was laying in his Alex was laying in the child's bed. He'd been there mm. for three days. He was laying in his own mm. urine, laying in his own feces. Um, some of the women in the Panthers cleaned him up, dressed him, and brought him to the kitchen. They tied that noose around his neck 
and then yeah. threw a jacket to cover him up. Um, Sam, Sam's had a forty-five automatic, and they tied him up with ropes. And Rackley, at that point, resist. Um, somebody gave Warren a cup of coffee to help him up. Mm-hmm. Warren that he needed a joint. He'd barely slept for days amid all the nonstop activity, and he had a ton of paranoia. Sam's started rolling up a joint in the car. Oh my god. And they said that they noticed that some of the cars on the street were like blocking them. And they knew that those cars had undercover agents and uh, Sam's knew that the cars had undercover agents in them. Um, and of course they know what car they're in because they arranged for him to have the car. Yep. Oh my god. And he could be heard saying, right on, all power to the people, right on. And when Sam's was rolling up the joint, Alex Rackley spoke up and said, don't do that, George. The cops are watching. Oh, my God. And oh. that's when Sam's said, you're right, Alex. Stop. Oh. And that's the thing. Here's the worst part. So all the like the women that were involved, the people in the house. So you think that you've caught a rat. And you were absolutely torturing him. And now he said, yes, okay, I was, you know, I'm an informant, blah, blah, blah. Of course you want him fucking dead. But not if he's innocent and being, like, tortured and everything by somebody who is actually a rat. That's the most fucked up part of that story. Yeah. Yeah. I have to cover my own ass, so we're going to blame this guy, and we're going to dead. Absolutely dead. Yep. And how... I could not imagine being that person who lent my car to them. First of all, I didn't have a choice in loaning them my vehicle because that man held a gun to his head. Yep. These are people who are all working towards the same cause as you, and you're going to hold a gun to their head and threaten them? Hmm. Seems like maybe because it's not the best thing. Mm Mm-hmm seems like but what do i know but yes as i said that is the end to our story today it is not a satisfying end it is quite infuriating yep and then that man rots in hell yeah just a little bit a lot of torture yeah i think he should be burned some boiling yeah. water at this point yeah. But he said he's done Anybody worse. So whatever, whatever the worst was, you should do that to him. Yes, we'll go ahead and do that. That's my way of justice. I'm sorry. Did you do this to a person? Well, guess what gets to happen to you next? Okay, that's what I think. The wreck for everybody. Well, thank you. I appreciate you telling us that story. Thank you for doing the uh-huh. research. Thank you for sharing shit with me. Because again, learning as we go. Learning as Thanks. we go. History can be fun, you guys. History involves a lot of murder. Uh, A lot of murder. It is even more fun to tell people about history while I drink my Jim Beam. Yes. Delightful. Delicious. Mm. I need to go change my coil and finish hanging up some art. So thank you for this. Um, And y'all, again, follow us. Her. It's up in the corner now. (laughs) Oh, thanks. Mm-hmm. 
See? And thank you. I was going to say thank you to Joey and John for fixing our graphics and doing all the stuff. Get ready. There's new shit on the outro, too. Come watch. Stay behind and look at all the fun graphics. <laughs> and uh, we'll be back Sunday with a joint story that we're going to share together. Thir- 13? Yes. 13? Yeah. Yes. 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 <sighs> um, that Dang. is not a Black Panther story, but we are going to be talking about what is that black islam i think so i need it yeah i gotta research things to host guests to have things to research this will be fun yes that that story will tie in a little bit with malcolm x thus the clearance 13x you know so those those stories will tie in there like we're just meshing you see we did a really good job this season of just it works if you're following along you're gradually learning yes they mesh together yay yes and then of course after we're done with all of these stories all of our more political stories which i told Ange this in the past isn't it just funny how this lined up that all of these political stories end right before the election that was a complete accident when we plan this season, I promise you. <laughs> yeah, we did not plan this that way. It just lined up that way. But it worked, didn't it? It did. Oh my god. Thanks, you guys. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, and you. thank you to the Last Electric Rodeo Band for allowing us to use their song Bronze Age of Horror at the end of each one of our episodes. If you want to find out more about them, go to lastelectricrodeo.com or find them on Facebook at The Last Electric Rodeo. Yes, yes, yes. And as always, you guys, remember to be safe out there. Be aware of your surroundings. Take care of yourselves. Take care of others. Be kind to yourselves and be kind to one another. Of course, don't murder. Don't murder other people. No, it's not the best. But we want exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> Give us a heads up. Thank you. <laughs> All right. You know the deal. Yay. Peace out, Cub Scouts. Bye. See you Sunday. (laughs)